Welcome to episode 48 of the Ohio Huntsman podcast, brought to you by Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio company, and they have everything you need for your deer feed and deer mineral. So they've got high-protein feed, they've got mineral, their high-protein feed, sort of their signature product, has mineral mixed into it. So it keeps the deer coming back even after the visible feed is gone. And then they've also got long-range attractant flavored corn. So anything you could need to help get your deer mineral, help feed them, attract them, they've got anything you need. So check them out. There'll be a link in our show notes to them. And today's episode, we talk about rain. More specifically, I guess, how the rain and the flooding this spring is going to affect deer hunting this fall. So I know around us, there's a lot of fields that either got planted very late, haven't been planted yet, or there's large sections of the field that got flooded out that aren't growing. So what's that going to do to crops in the fall? How's that going to affect deer movement, deer behavior, as well as what's happening to the native vegetation? You know, the the plants and things out in the woods and the fields and things that deer feed on as well. They don't just eat crops, of course. So how's that all going to affect that? So Jeff actually reached out to the Ohio Ag Extension, local soil and water department, and a few other resources and got some insight into this. So this is a pretty interesting conversation. We uh, There's a little bit of, uh, oh, I don't know, catching up, rambling, um, off-topic conversation in the beginning. And uh, so if you don't care about that, just skip ahead a few minutes and uh, we'll get into the research and things. So with that, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? Are we ready to start? Yeah. What's this thing we posted shooting qualification don't you have to be drawn for the program or you have to qualify before you apply you have to qualify pay twenty dollars qualify then apply then you be could drawn. not and you could not get drawn and be out twenty dollars yeah have spent a day qualifying right and be huh. out twenty dollars also it's one shot you get one opportunity to, to, to seize everything five, you ever wanted. To put That's five right. arrows in a uh, six and a half inch circle, or four out of five arrows in a six and a half inch circle. So if you don't do for? it, you're done for the year. For park hunting in Hamilton, no, not Hamilton County, uh, Dayton area. Oh, okay. Hmm. And what is that from 10 yards, 20 yards? Uh, 20, I think. Well, good luck to anybody that's signing up for that. Yeah. Hopefully it works out. All right. Yep. I'm ready to rock. All right. So today we're talking about rain, right? Yeah. I know a few things about rain. It's uh, it's wet. It makes corn, which corn makes whiskey. And, you know, you know how the rest of that goes. But in all seriousness, we're going to talk about 
how all of this wet weather has been affecting the crops, the plants, and how we think it's going to affect the hunting season, I guess, this upcoming hunting season with crops either not being able to be put in or being put in late, how it's affecting the natural browse, and uh, see where we lead. Jeff, you said you've got a bunch of, uh, you did a bunch of research for this. I, uh, I'll be honest, I did zero research for this other than, you know, I've seen the wet weather and I know the field behind me, there's a, there's a farm field behind my house that has not been planted yet. Um, there's a field next to dad's house that has not been planted yet. So I know there's... In this area, it's not uncommon right now to see to see fields unplanted. Before we get into that, though, I got to tell you guys, this has nothing to do with our topic, but I'm pretty jacked up. I just got home from this, uh, I, they called it like a drive and learn, but basically what it is, in comparing stats on tires, they set up a basically like an autocross course and had three series BMWs outfitted with different kinds of tires. And then you had a professional driver with you and you just got to hammer down, man. It was that's awesome. That's it was awesome. awesome. I, so they take us around the, the professional driver is in the car and then there's three other, you know, two people in the back, one piece per person in the passenger seat. And the professional driver takes you around the track once to kind of, you know, cause when you look out on an auto crash, auto cross course wow it's kind of a tongue twister but uh, you know it, from the sidelines it can kind of just like it look like a sea of cones right right it's hard so, to see the line yeah so he takes you around once you know he's going slow he's like okay and they for us they had different color cones at like key points like you should get on the brakes at this cone get back on the gas at this cone kind of thing so they had different color cones and he's pointing all this stuff out and we go one time around the course and these guys are like professional drivers. They introduced them all. They're professional drivers. They, uh, the one guy used to be one of the stunt drivers for Disney. You know how they, how they have some of those stunt shows down there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other guy, they've raced in different, uh, you know, racing series and things. Like these guys are professional drivers. And so they go around the course once. And then sort of nonchalantly, he's like, okay, now we're going to see what, what these things do. And they just, I have never been in a car driven like that before. That's awesome. Just hammer down <clears throat> last minute into the corner on the brakes, sliding sideways around the corner, back on the gas. Like it was intense. So much so that like, so like I said, there was three people in the car. Well, four people, the professional driver and then three amateurs that were there for the, the drive and learn. There was a handful of people and, and, some people get car sick in the back seat, but there was a handful of people after a few times around the track, they were like, okay, I'm done. I, I got to get out. Hmm. So needless to say, you can probably tell I'm a little jazzed up. I was joking with the, cause you know, they're, they're BMWs, right? So they're, what what's BMWs thing? The ultimate driving machine. Yeah. And I was joking with some of the guys there. Like, how mad do you think my wife would be if I came home with a BMW? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't knowing think your, it would 
Knowing your what? wife, it would not go well. <laughs> no, yeah, we'd probably be divorced. <laughs> it's kind of hard to put a deer in the back of a BMW. Yeah, that would count. Yeah. Probably lower the value a little bit, deer blood in the back, but... Probably. So, anywho, I had just had to tell you guys about that, because it was... It so, was, you, uh, got, you got to drive this thing? Yeah. Have you ever driven a BMW before? No. I've driven one, not obviously on a racetrack, but it's just amazing to me how tight the steering on a bmw is yeah like responsive it's just if you've never driven one or i guess there's probably other cars like it but like a high-end car like that it's like it's crazy <laughs> yeah and it was I cool mean, to see too there like is the, no play in the steering wheel <laughs> right yeah i mean it was like it was a three series so it's a smaller bmw and it's like it's almost like driving a go-kart like you know it just it just goes you know but uh, they had, I forget what, exactly what it was called, but I kind of laughed because in doing this, he goes on to the touchscreen thing and he there's a there's a setting or whatever, um, all off. And it says on the display, all smart, intelligent driver assist systems are off, you know, and it, I was like, oh, boy, he's like, yeah, you got to have it off because when you get close to the cones, like it, it freaks out because it thinks you're you're you know it's got like the lane departure assist and it you know wants to yeah. fight you and he's like you got to just shut all that stuff off <laughs> so but yeah it was uh it was quite the experience and then at the end they do a thing that uh it got rained out which was a bummer but i i got to drive <coughs> so they they break everybody up into teams so we had three teams everybody lines up and one you know, the professional drivers in the passenger seat and then one amateur driver, you, they put a set of ultra high performance tires on the car then. And before, you know, we were, they had a water truck and they were wetting the track down so you could see how the tires handle in, in wet and things like that. But so at this point the, the track had dried and, uh, they, they put ultra high performance tires on. And the goal was, like I said, you had teams, each teammate, takes one lap around the, the track. When you get back to the start, you stop the car, jump out, tag the next person, get, you know, so it was like a relay kind of thing. <laughs> next person runs up, gets in the car, you know, one lap. And so the, the goal was then to see which team had the fastest, like which team was the fastest. And then they were also going to give out, I think, prizes for the, the three overall top driver, the, 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 fastest lap of the amateur drivers you know right but we got our team was able to go all the way through and then half of the second team and then it just started pouring like just raining buckets so they had to call it they uh they said if if it starts to lightning they've got to call it if it's raining just a little you know if it's just rain we can keep doing it but if it's like downpour they got to call it and it was it was downpour so unfortunately we didn't get to finish that were you winning well we were team one and we were the only so yeah we were winning no i meant did you have the fastest time out of everybody they they didn't oh they didn't do splits yeah it was just a guy on a clipboard but a lot of people when i got done they were like man that was a fast lap you might be one of the top three like i mean it felt good felt great you know that's that's a bummer you didn't get to finish it up yeah so, but 
enough uh, car talk. This isn't uh, car talk radio, but I just had to. Mm-hmm. I just had to tell you guys about that. So, let's talk about the weather. Like I said, it rained today, and we've had a super super wet spring. Farm fields either aren't getting planted or are getting planted late. I've have I have I think it's three maple trees at my house that are planted out by the road in an area that since we've owned this house has been dry and I think the wet weather this spring has the, all the leaves have fallen off they turned brown and I think the wet weather killed those trees. So wow. And they're they're not baby trees. They're oh, I don't know. Probably as big around at the base as like a softball or something, you know. They're so they're average they're landscaping trees. Yeah, tall enough to be to starting to grow into the power lines. I don't know why they ever planted them there. So I'm not too broken up about the fact that they died because it's one of these things. Is like why why did you plant a tree under the power lines? But yeah, it's the power company's problem. Yeah, but if they fall down and rip the power down, True. now I don't have power to my house. True. True, but I, people don't think about that. No, they don't. So, what do you guys think? And Jeff, I know you've got some actual like research. You've done some some homework on this, but what are you guys thinking the effects of the wet spring are going to be on deer season this fall? Any any sort of first blush thoughts? Well, my first thought is kind of a hope and a thought is that. By the field getting planted later, I'm hoping what that will do is make the beans stay green longer and push them back to, if not past opening day, at least a lot closer. So I feel like bean fields the first week might be real hot to catch deer because typically opening day, end of September the beans have pretty well turned brown a week or two before that, and the deer start to transition out of the bean fields because it's not appetizing to them. It's still hot, so they don't want to eat the pods exactly because that's too much. Basically, it gets their metabolism ramped up too much. They're still looking for green, leafy, water-filled goodness. Um, So I feel like maybe if those beans stay green longer... The edge of a bean field opening day might be the best place to be. Yeah, because I know, like you said, once the beans start to yellow, like they don't even have to be brown. Once they start to yellow, they're they're not interested. But I think it'll depend on because if I don't know if you guys know or or correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's I forget what the word is. I want to say categories, but I that doesn't sound right. But like there's a a category, I want to say like one through eight in beans, and those category numbers, um, they they determine or affect days till ripe. And I'm right. I'm sure of you know somebody that isn't farming is cringing at my at my awful right. description yeah. of this, <clears throat> but I I want to say it's categories one through eight and. As you go through the categories, the days to ripeness is longer and or shorter, depending on which direction you're moving. And so, hope you know, if they plant, if everything is same, same as last year, they plant the same kind of bean, definitely. Things should stay green longer unless they buy 
a quicker ripening bean because they got them in late. You know, I, it'll right. it'll kind of probably on be on a field by field basis, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I just I know with Grandpa's farm, I know they buy their seed ahead of time, basically. I mean, they buy it that season, but they bought their seed with the intent of planting it at their normal time. At their normal, yeah. And then they got yeah. flooded out, and that pushed it back and back and back. So using that line of thought, it would be the same bean that they normally would plant, just got planted later. It'll stay ripe longer. That's kind of where I was going. Um, but again, that's we'll see. Time will tell. I don't know if it'll make it till opening day, but it's definitely something to watch. You know, I mean... The bean fields, anyone who watches a bean field over the summer, um, the deer are in the beans every single night. I mean, if there's deer around the bean field, there's deer in the bean fields. So if it can stay into season, that could be a real deadly combination for the first few days of season. I mean, it's not going to last long just by because of the way the weather works, but that's my first initial thought about what it might do by pushing it back. It might keep those beans ripe or green, not ripe, I guess, green, green, yeah, into past opening day, which would be very different from normal Ohio situation. Right. Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. If you want to, I was just going to ask like about native brows. What do you guys think? it's going to do to native brows, but if you have some research or something to back up the agriculture side of it, maybe we go there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should dive into the stuff that I have. Um, so first off, what I, what kind of shocked me was that this is really a delayed planting for the, for the most part and not the absence of planting at the end of June. Going into the last week of June, planting was behind by anywhere from 60 to 80 percent, you know, behind where we were last year. At this point, which is after the first week in July, we're only three percent behind. Wait, I don't understand that. Yeah, you can't you can't make up time. So I'm confused. If 60 to 80 percent of people were behind in June, they'd still be behind. I'm confused. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we were behind the the fields being planted. So you once mean, they're planted, I got like, you. So you're saying by the end of June they were vacant. Sixty to eighty percent of fields had nothing planted. Yes, they had not oh, been planted. I got we were you. we were sixty eighty percent of fields that were planted last year were not planted this year. I got you. Now the number of we're only three percent behind in planting. Gotcha. So. Let's let's pause for a second. Where are you getting this information from? Um, well, I talked to this was off of Ohio Agnet's information. OK, um, I talked to a lot of really helpful people um, at the local soil and water office and at the Ag Extension. And they gave me a lot of good information and a lot of good resources, which so I wanted I wanted to ask that just like. To make sure this was reliable information. It sounds like it definitely mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the uh, soybeans go with uh, staying green longer, um, that was definitely something they were saying they expected. Um, they actually kind of thought my 
you know, me calling about this topic was a little silly um, because most people in the industry are kind of saying, oh, well, this will be great for wildlife. You know, it's bad for us farmers. It's going to be great for the wildlife. Um, because the beans are going to stay green longer or because of the native vegetation? Uh, mostly because of what they're they're doing. Nothing okay. really with native vegetation. Um, but they're not to get too complex or too over my head because I don't understand it all. You know, people tried to explain it to me, but I do not understand it all. But there is insurance for farmers who were not able to plant, who were delayed in planting and who were unable to plant. Okay. Um, so there is a cutoff date for, for that. Um, for soybeans, that cutoff date is July 15th. If you don't have them in by July 15th, you don't qualify for insurance on those crops and you can apply for delayed planting funding. Now, is, that some, is that something you like you would have had to have a policy on that in order to make a claim against it? Or is that like some sort of state funded thing to where regardless of if you've paid into the system, like is that fun? And maybe you don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, that's a I, tax thing. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. And yeah, maybe it's a tax thing. OK. You know, I, 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 I remember seeing somewhere that. And again, I'm going to butcher this because I just breezed through it. But some politician on some level, no idea who it was or where, but it was somewhere in local Ohio tri-state area somewhere, was um, petitioning for almost like a state of emergency to bail out the farmers because of how much revenue is going to be lost because of the high levels of rain. It's almost like a hurricane, you know, would they bring in the government to fund it's almost something I don't know if it ever got passed or approved, but I remember seeing something where they were going to say it's like a state of emergency. Right. Yeah. Um, to to move forward, uh, the the next thing is with these fields being planted late or potentially not being planted for the grain themselves, um, even if the field isn't planted for the grain the the either the soybean or the corn um it is the recommendation to plant all seed that you have on hand um from both the the seed sellers and the uh ag extensions it is the recommendation to plant all the seed that you have on hand um basically because it's very hard to overwinter already purchased seed um if it's just stored in a non-climate controlled area um they're expecting there to only be 20 percent germination on that seed oh, okay. so it's almost useless next year um so what that can do is one if they you they can plant, farmers can plant soybeans. I'm not sure what the date is for corn. It's That date's already passed. Um, but you can say that you had, get full, uh, 100%, you can file a 100% claim for your delayed planting. 
and get 100% of the available funds uh, for delayed planting on a cornfield. And then once the late date passes, so for soybeans, the late date is July 15th. After July 15th, a farmer can plant his, take his soybeans that he's, the seed he's already purchased and plant that as either a cover, as a cover crop and use that as either grazing for cattle or silage or hay. Um, what he cannot do is harvest the grain. So what this means for hunters is, yeah, if, if they plant after the date, they those plants may create a a grain. They may produce. They may put, go to seed and right, produce corn. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, the farmer, in order to get his subsidy cannot harvest that grain that grain basically has to go to the ground so you might see really? farmers leaving fields standing corn or correct. okay yeah, well correct yeah or or well i guess if they're going to cut it for like silage or feed they would cut it before it turned brown right yeah yeah they would they would cut it um yeah before it turned brown but they could still you know if if it had went to seed they could still be leaving seed behind. Yeah. So um, I wonder if that's why, because of the this date to get your insurance claim, I wonder if why a lot of these fields around here haven't been... I wonder if they're waiting, they're going to apply for their their crop insurance. Right. And then maybe plant after the fact, or hopefully plant, you know, because I think yeah. just from an erosion standpoint... It's good. You got to have something in those fields, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the next, yeah, and they 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 do recommend, uh, obviously, to not leave your field barren. Um, plant something. Plant some sort of cover crop. Um, that all depends on what the farmer decides his soil needs. So you could see. You know, anything from ryegrasses to legumes to clovers um, to uh, oats being planted um, all depends on what the farmer determines his needs are for that field. Um, you know, because each one of those cover crops would add different nutrients, um, break up the soils in different ways. Um, so, but a lot of those are very good for deer. Um, and oats, for example, um, oats are really good for deer. Um, oats are still palatable and still good to eat for grazing, even after they've turned brown. So Interesting. A, a lot of the cover crops would be good for wildlife, you know, not just deer. Um, another interesting thing that, uh, because I was approaching this from an, a hunting and standpoint is that the farmers cannot rent out their fields if they have applied for crop loss, delayed planting funding. Which, okay. What that means, the, the, the goal kind of by that is so that a farmer doesn't file for delayed planting and then 
someone rent out his field to be planted for hay. And then, you know, he's basically getting money, you know, from two pots. Now, a farmer can plant his own field for hay and harvest his own field for hay or barter with someone to, you know, plant his field for hay and, you know, is but they cannot rent it out. And okay. where that affects with a hunter is, you know, in our, a lot of hunters' minds, it may be, oh, well, you're not planting your field. You know, I'll, I'll give you X number of dollars to plant a food plot on a section of that. Well, technically, if that food plot isn't a cover crop, something that is approved as a cover crop, uh, that would that could be considered renting out their field and they could potentially risk losing their their subsidy. Okay. So they, you know, she kind of was very, that was something she really wanted to express to me. It was like, be very careful about that because you could be jeopardizing their, their, their funds. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't want to do that, especially, you know, if a guy's doing you a favor or something and then gets hosed, that would be a bummer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there is, um, due to the the poor planning uh conditions this this summer um there is a an additional subsidies being available to plant cover crops um to to purchase seed for cover crop uh for farmers so hopefully uh there won't be many fields go empty hopefully something will end up in most fields um you know not all farmers have really bought into the whole idea of cover crop um you know it's kind of a newer idea yeah so not not all farmers have kind of bought into the idea that of the benefits of a cover crop um but hopefully most have and will uh you won't see fields going empty yeah, which could be a problem. I wonder if because of, you know, the large volume of maybe different kinds of seeds that they're going to be selling. I wonder if another benefit would be if you're going to plant a fall, like some sort of a fall food plot or a fall blend, if you might get those seeds cheaper or do you think they'll be more expensive because of the high demand for other stuff? I I think they'll probably be more expensive due to the high demand, you know, like forage soybeans and forage oats, you know, are common ingredients in fall blends. Well, right now there's kind of a high demand for those things because the farmers want them for their fields so that they can, you know, you know, the ones who have fences around them, you know, maybe can save some money on grain costs for their cattle by right, they can cut them for feed, right? Or just let let the cattle into the field to graze. Oh, that yeah, that's a good point. You know, so I they on one of the experts uh, videos I watched, he said 
basically buy your cover crop as soon as you can because prices are going to go up because there's going to be a high demand. So the other thing that it'll probably affect is prices in the grocery store. Yeah, that's very likely. Yeah. So maybe another maybe shoot an extra deer this fall because your grocery store trips are going to be yeah yeah <laughs> be more expensive so you might need uh, to offset that with some extra protein i don't know yeah yeah another uh interesting thing oh where was i, I just lost my train of thought i don't know we'll come back what, what was it about the cover crop or the the fall blends i don't know it's totally gone i hate when that happens yeah I'll... all right well, It'll so, come back. It'll come back. Let's talk about native forage. So what what effects have you guys seen on native forage because of the, the rain? And one thing I've seen is uh, I feel like, well, let me ask you this. Are blackberries, can they be, um, what's the word, cyclical like, like oaks? Like, oh, they didn't produce a lot of berries this year, but... They did last year, like, you know, oaks, oh, it was a good acorn year sort of thing. Or do they typically produce the same year after year? I always have noticed them producing the same year after year. That's what I thought. But this is a good segue into another thing that I talked to the Ag Extension about was apple trees. Um, Well, hang on. Let me talk about, I didn't even talk about my blackberries yet. Okay. Talk about your blackberries. <laughs> he's so, got all this research, man. You can't keep him tied down. I know. He's excited. I like it. <laughs> I uh, All I was going to say was, you know, is really important because everything I say is really important, um, is that I, it just feels like my blackberry bushes this year either aren't. Like, I feel like I should have blackberries starting to get ripe or close to ripe, and they're either just not producing or they've got very few berries or they're just, they're still very much green. So it seems to have affected my, my blackberry crop. Yeah, I, I agree with the blackberries. I have a lot of blackberries and black raspberries. And I think either the cool weather or the, uh, amount of rain has made them become mature much later where in years past you know well before the 4th of July I was getting a lot of berries I only got my first pint of berries right before the 4th yeah so it's definitely affected native vegetation as well then I guess are we ready to go to apple trees? Yes, we are ready to go to apple trees, and I'm right. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So, all the apple trees that I've been seeing, the ones on my property, on hunting properties, and just around, hadn't really seemed to be producing many apples this year. Um, so I asked about that, if the weather, you know, was affecting that. And the answer was kind of, well... Yeah, you know, it could have, you know, the rain and the cool weather could have affected the pollinators, you know, and kind of kept them at bay. Um, And also the switch from hot to cold. But what they said, more likely what you're noticing 
is that apples, especially wild apples, uh, have a biannual uh, uh, express biannual bearing, which is that they only have a heavy crop every other year because of the energy expense it takes to produce the fruit. Interesting. Um, and wild trees, you know, aren't getting uh, fertilizers and stuff, so it's harder for them to produce that fruit. And she said that trees in a specific area will uh, sync up and get on the same schedule. Because when one tree is, you know, it's this tree's year to bloom, they all want to be blooming and heavy producing so that they can cross pollinate. So that's interesting because as you were saying that, that, you know, the apple trees weren't doing well, I was thinking the apple tree in my yard seems to be doing much better this year than it did last year. But that, that biannual production would make sense because the year before that it was littered with apples. Like so it cracked one of the branches. It was so heavy with apples. Um, the following year, last year, it was just sort of meh, you know, like there mm-hmm. was some apples on it, but nothing like the year before. But this year, again, it, it seems like there's a lot of apples on it. And it's it's in it's in my yard, like the mowed part of my yard. And it's in a it's kind of on a slope. So it's kind of a, a well-drained area of my yard, if you will. So it may not have gotten too too drowned, I guess. But mm-hmm. well, an odd thing with is. I have an apple tree that's in a very wet place uh, in my yard, and it is doing well this year. All the other apple trees are doing poorly. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's it's almost in standing water, has been om- almost in standing water the whole summer, and it's doing fine. I wonder if it's a different species of apple, or... Yeah, I mean, I think they're all volunteer crab apple you know i don't think any of them are domesticated apples speaking of volunteers i've got so many volunteer red oaks in my yard and i don't have any red oak trees in my yard but there's a there's a couple red oaks across the street and so i think the squirrels have just been carrying them over and burying them in my yard and so there was one here recently that i uh i think i'm going to protect because it's it's he planted it right in a spot where I, I kind of like where it's at. So that's that cool. Not, that, <laughs> that was a cool story, bro. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that is cool. But uh, yeah, so that's my unrelated. Well, sort of related. We talked about volunteers. Yeah. Sort of related tangent. So there you go. There's your yeah. sort of related tangent for the day. Yeah. Another caveat from the information I gathered is that. Uh, Basically, this delayed planting is very regional, um, even within Ohio. There are some areas that basically were unaffected. Um, You know, they planted all at at roughly the same time as they always did. Um, Fields didn't get flooded as much. And then there's other areas of the state that are way behind where they should be right so it's very regional 
So some some places in the state are probably saying, you know, what are you talking about? You know, we only have, you know, 5% of our fields planted. And then other areas of the state are probably like, what are you guys talking about? Like the rain didn't affect the fields. They're all planted and the corn's all chest high. So I, uh, we, we planted some corn this year in our garden is the first time we've, we've really fooled around with corn and it's doing pretty well. Um, that's one of the few things that's doing well in our garden. So hopefully get a couple years of corn off of it. We didn't plant a lot, just, uh, just sort of as an experiment, but Uh did you put a garden in this year, Jeff? Uh, I just planted potatoes. That's okay. Um, basically a lot of times with the garden, uh, we weren't using a lot of, you know, we basically, you'd get, you know, a five gallon bucket of tomatoes all at once. So we weren't really using it, you know, because everything became ripe at the same time, but Gotta the potatoes planting. Yeah, yeah, the potatoes hold up, you know, and we use them. You know, we can use a lot of potatoes. So I just did potatoes this year. How do you guys grow your potatoes? Do you? Because I there's like I've seen tons of different ways of people growing potatoes. What do you guys do? The best way that I've found is your corn bags your feed corn bags yeah fill those with dirt um well and fill them uh maybe a third of the way plant the potatoes uh let them uh sprout add another little layer of dirt a couple inches of dirt and then put uh i what i use is mowed grass clippings put that on top to hold moisture in and let them go and then when everything's done at the when you're ready to harvest you just dump the bag out and sift through and pick out the yep yep okay just sift through and that that way it's it's real easy you know it's a lot easier than digging into the ground and you don't know how deep to dig and right are you finding them all yeah you know, they're all right there and you can just dump that bag and you can dump the bag, sift through and then put that all that dirt back into a pile for next year. I've seen another it's sort of similar to that where people will take a cage like they'll make a, a cylinder out of uh, some sort of like mesh fencing. Right. And, you know, you make a cylinder, you tie the ends together like the, the long edge of the cylinder. And then they put some dirt, straw, whatever in, you know, a couple inches of it, put some seed potatoes in, do another layer of dirt, straw, whatever, put some more seed potatoes. And so they fill this column with dirt, straw, seed potatoes all the way up. The the potato plants sort of sprout out the sides and Mm -hmm. grow. And then sort of same thing when you're ready to harvest in the fall, you just open that cage up. And you just sift through that dirt then. And it, it's, you know, like you said, it's not back breaking, digging in the dirt. You just sort of sift through and pick out the potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've tried that technique before and it just didn't work as well for me. Okay. Um, basically because in that cylinder shape, uh, 
the plants were competing for sunlight too much, I think. Oh, okay. They, you know, were all pretty close together and competing for sunlight. And the only like the outermost edge of the cylinder, the soil and like the outermost edge was really being utilized. The center of that cylinder had no potatoes in it. Okay. Like they they didn't really grow into the middle very well. They did say in this video that I watched um, that they didn't get like using that method. They didn't get big potatoes. They got just a bunch of small potatoes. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of size you get out of yours, but that was one thing that they did note in that video that I watched. They got bunches and bunches of um, smaller than a baseball, like uh, I don't know, maybe between like a golf ball and a a large egg. It seemed like they were pulling out of there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, those are fairly small. Yeah. Something uh, that we just kind of dice up or cube up and, you know, you weren't, yeah. you weren't going to make a, a baked potato out of these things. Yeah, I, I rarely get baked potato sized ones, but bigger than, you know, uh, bigger than an egg. Okay. You know, they're, I, I'm not even sure what you would call them, but like your average red potatoes that you're getting at the grocery store, like that's okay. kind of the size. Okay. Like maybe just smaller than a baseball size sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we went on a we went on another tangent about gardening there. So yeah. listeners are getting a lot of uh, uh, tangents today. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's related. It's agriculture. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we talked about native, you know, like um, blackberries and apples. What about the the mass producing trees? Have, did you? see any research on that or have any thoughts on how the wet weather is going to affect those? I think that the mass producing trees are, I don't think it's going to have much of an effect on them. I didn't find any research on that, but I, I don't think it'll be as detrimental to them as it is for the agricultural crops. Right. So if it's their year to produce on like an oak tree that, you know, doesn't, doesn't have a large crop every year, you think they're going to do their thing regardless of the wet? Yeah, that's that's my opinion. My uneducated opinion. Yeah. So I, uh, I kind of think the same thing. Trees, I think, you know, with, with such a wide root system, I think they can kind of, if they need to go deep to, to tap into water deep, they can. If they don't, they can get it from the surface sort of thing. I, the one thing I will say is they won't have struggled to stay hydrated this year. I mean, not, I, I don't want to speak for the whole state, but definitely not in our area. They're not going to have struggled for water. If anything, you know, if they're in a low lying, but see trees, they take so long to grow. Like if they're in a low lying area, they've experienced wet before and they're right. still living. Right. So they're, yeah. The more I talk about it, the more I think it's going to have. <laughs> little effect yeah i would and typically when you're getting mass trees in from in most cases those trees are mature trees they're large i mean that's a big tree yeah that's a good point the fluctuation in the moisture like you said they've been through it they already have a root system to deal with it one way or the other you know it's not like your sapling that you could flood out i mean that's a big tree (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Anything else we want to touch on on this one? Uh, I mean, the other thing that I thought of possibly, again, this is going to be area specific, but um, if your your hunting area has been flooded out, um, you may have to adjust where your deer have been bedding. I mean, a deer is not going to bed in water. So if it, you know, if your bedding area happens to be flooded or was flooded for a period of time, it could have shifted some deer movement around, which could bring deer onto your property if your neighbor's flooded or vice versa. I mean, it might just be something you have to put a little extra scouting into. Yeah, that's a good, especially come deer season, you know, because, you know, rain typically kind of picks up again in the fall. If, if we get moisture rainfall like we've had in the spring, you know, yeah, you may have to adjust your hunting tactics a bit to find where they're at, where they're bedding. That's a good point. The other thing I wanted to mention, I guess, along the lines of deer is I think like Jeff was saying, I think it's going to be good. They're they're, I think they're going to have plenty of things to eat, plenty of nutrition to get them through the dry spell in the summer because everything's been good and wet. They had plenty of stuff to eat in the spring coming out of winter. So hopefully if you're a, you know, if you're a, a let them grow to next year, maybe this year is going to be the year for, for, uh, some big giant bucks. Cause they've had good, good food to eat. Yeah. I definitely think, uh, that, yeah, they've, they've had their, a lot of good food and they're going to continue to have, ample food um this winter could be a little difficult um for the deer that are heavily utilizing spilled grain as a food as a winter food source um you know because spilled grain keeps in the winter um so it could be a little difficult for those deer um if if there wasn't a different cover crop or if you have a low mass crop this year in your area um the late winter you know uh january february march could be a little difficult um and it it could increase your uh your hunting opportunities because if you do have a food source and food scarce you know exactly where the deer are going to be right definitely all right well, I think we covered a lot in this one as far as how the wet weather and the and the extra rainfall is going to affect hunting this fall and how it's been affecting the crops. Any any other closing thoughts, Jeff, before we turn this off? I don't think so. I think we covered all the uh, info that I I got. So yeah, that was hopefully that was awesome information. I'm glad you made some phone calls about that. That was. Yeah, really I, interesting I was stuff. I was very surprised as how willing people were to share information. You know how how excited they were to yeah. tell me about what's going on. And I find that a lot, like with with you know, because you called some state agencies and and ag departments and things like that. And I find that a lot, like those people want to help. You know, and so if you have questions call them up, shoot them an email and nine times out of 10, they're more than ha- happy to, to help you, give you some advice, give you, you know, tell you what they know sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the reason I'm not asking Jake 
his closing thoughts as he had to drop off the call for he's got some family stuff to attend to. So he was on the first part there, and but he had to drop off. So he doesn't get a closing thought. Um, I think my closing thought is just uh, I'm excited for deer season. I'm getting I'm getting amped up, man. <clears throat> I'm starting to uh, starting to think about strategies where I'm gonna where I think I'm gonna run into deer this fall, and I'm going on uh, Sunday out to the one local property to hang some trail cameras and do some summer scouting out there. So that'll be. You guys are making me jealous. You guys both, Jacob and Jeff, you guys both have cameras out and uh, been getting pictures and stuff. And I don't have any cameras out. So I'm going to go do that on Sunday, hang some cameras and do some some summer scouting out there. So hopefully find some good things and we'll get some good pictures here in the in the coming weeks. So with that, if you guys enjoyed this, one thing I'd ask you to do is... Give the episode a thumbs up when we post it to social. And, you know, if you got a laugh out of this or you got any good information out of this, um, take a screenshot of whatever player you're using to listen to this and share it to your social media. Share it to Facebook, share it to Instagram, share it to your story on Facebook or Instagram and tag us. And that way we know, yep, we like the content and we can then share it on our page and hopefully more people find out about the show. So we're still continuing to try and grow the show, grow the audience. And uh, that would be a, a big help. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet, but we've got some big things on the horizon here. So stay tuned. I think you guys are going to like it, but I don't want to let the cat out of the bag just yet. So keep listening. Keep following us on social. We've got some some big announcements coming. So, without uh, too much more rambling here, I just want to say thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.